Our second reading is taken uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verses 32 to 40. The Lord is God. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land and give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you. For all time. Amen. Before Tim comes to bring God's word to us, we'll stand to sing again number 2143, a song that enables us to praise God for his boundless majesty and power and for his limitless love to us. Who can know the mind of our Creator? Let's stand to sing together. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. You see, Moses was concerned that once the people got into the promised land, they might lose sight of the Lord who gave them the land in the first place. They might be so distracted by the enjoyment of the good gift they'd received, they might not give much thought to the giver. God was giving them the land as their inheritance. He brought them out of the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance. God had claimed them as his own treasured possession. And because they were his treasured possession, he was giving them the land to be their treasured possession. God cared so deeply about the people because they mattered to him, and because he cared so deeply about them, he was going to give them the land But the people who received the land didn't care deeply about the God who gave them the land. They cared deeply about the land. The land eclipsed the Lord in their priorities and affections. And that hurts. If you give someone you love a present or a gift because you love them, and it becomes apparent actually that they value what you've given them more than they value you, that doesn't sit easily, really. 
And it's in the context of that kind of betrayal of love that the Lord reveals himself as a jealous God. It's a jealousy born out of a love that is not reciprocated. Of all the other gods in the world that are worshipped by all the other nations, have you ever heard of any God doing for his people what I've done for you? The Lord asks Israel. Has any other nation had a God speak to them out of the fire as the Lord has done for you? Has any other God delivered his people from bondage and slavery by miraculous signs and wonders with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm as the Lord has done for you? The Lord loved your forefathers and he loves you. That's why he personally brought you out of Egypt in a show of strength. And by that same strength and presence, he will bring you into a land that's currently controlled by nations that are stronger than you. But the Lord says it's because he loves you. It's because you are his treasured possession. That's why the Lord gives his people the land to be their treasured possession. But in his heart of hearts, the Lord wanted them to value him because of his gift of the land. For them to go into the land and embrace the land and forget about God would be a travesty. And that's why Moses is so concerned that the people should not forget the covenant that the Lord had made with them. They shouldn't be so taken up with enjoying the land, they were forgetting the Lord who gave it to them in the first place. And the problem was that in the land, there was so much to enjoy, so much to engage the senses, so much to see, to touch, to hear, to taste, to feel. And all those sensations could crowd God out, not least because God is invisible and intangible. The problem with images is they are immediately accessible to the senses in a way that God is not. And the additional problem with images is that for all their apparent nearness and accessibility, they are also images. They're superficial. There's a degree of falseness about them. Everything about an image is on the surface. There's no depth. And in our culture, in our land, we are dazzled by images. Images of success, images of good looks, the expensive car, the big house, the glitz and glamour of life in the fast lane. It all looks so real, so available, so attractive and exciting. And there's a sense in which all that is true. But where is the depth that can bring lasting fulfilment and contentment? Puncture the surface. Peel back the veneer, and you won't find much underneath. Most of you, won't, most of all, you won't find that that intangible, that invisible quality of love, which is the hallmark of God Himself. God, in His goodness, gives us all things richly to enjoy, but those things can never satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. Augustine put it memorably and well in his prayer. You've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So God made us for himself. He's given us so much to enjoy. 
he doesn't want us to forget him. But in the busyness of our driven lifestyles, it's so easy to let that happen. Let so many other things take the place of God in our hearts, giving them the priority and the devotion that elevates them almost to the status of God's of our own making because we value and treasure and worship them so much. Then like Israel in the land, we can become so taken up with enjoying what God has given that we forget the giver. We forget the covenant he's made with us. And for Israel, if they did that in the promise of the land, the Lord made it clear there was a price to be paid. He'd chosen Israel as his treasured possession. He'd given them the land for it to be their treasured possession. But if they turned away from him in their hearts, and in the land he'd given them, they embraced the false gods of other nations, the, the Lord would let them go. If they did not want to be with the Lord in the land he had given them, he would scatter them to the surrounding nations who worshipped all these other gods that they'd found so intense, enticing and alluring. The warning is straightforward. If in the land I've given you, you forget me, and you worship all the gods of all the other nations, I will send you away to live in those nations whose gods you worship. And there you will worship gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or smell. If Israel pursued those gods which were so enticing to the senses, which looked so good with the intoxicating aromas of their incense, which sounded so fantastic, if they pursued them, they would end up worshipping them and they would find out just how shallow and superficial they really were. These were gods that looked great, but couldn't see. Gods whose perfume smelled so intoxicating, but gods who couldn't smell themselves. Gods who sounded as if they were absolutely brilliant, but were completely deaf. These are the gods of virtual reality, the gods of advertising images, promising and offering the world and all its delights. But what they offer isn't really part of the real world at all. And in our society, we can end up in a kind of glittering, image-orientated fantasy. Everything unpleasant is erased, and our drab existence is decorated by their cheer and sparkle. But this is artificial. This is a substitute reality which masks and erases who I really am inside. And the more I live on the surface of things, the greater the disparity between how I want things to appear to everyone around me and who I really am deep down inside, the me I don't let anybody else see, the emptiness, the impotence, and the insignificance I feel. Because who I am is different from the images that surround me and the image I want to project to everybody else. Images offer euphoria, but it's short-lived. They offer escapism. But those who go down that road end up finding themselves a long way from home and a long way from the God who created them and who loves them. 
And that was Israel's story. That was Israel's problem. That's why Moses, as they are about to enter this enticing land, he warns them of the dangers of forgetting the covenant, of being drawn away to all these alluring images, of being so taken up with appearances that they forget the ultimate reality, who is the Lord himself, who created them in love and was calling them into a covenant relationship. Yet even though Moses sees clearly enough that in those heady moments of excitement and intoxication they would forget the Lord and end up wandering far, far away from him, the Lord would never forget them. Not for a single moment. Verse 31 is a key verse in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Indeed, it's a key verse for the whole Bible. Maybe a key verse for you this morning. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget the covenant he made with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. We may forget God and the covenant God makes with us, but God never forgets us. And maybe when you look at your family tree, you can see parents, grandparents, great-grandparents who honoured God and you've headed off in a very different direction. But the Lord's never forgotten that covenant he made with previous generations in your family and he still has his eye on you to call you back. Because the Lord our God is a merciful God. And there are times when we need to hear that. Many many of you know that over the years I've spent quite a bit of time thinking about sin and forgiveness. And to be honest, I think there are times when the church's preoccupation with driving the point home that there were all miserable sinners verges on the unhealthy and can be quite counterproductive, as if it were God's aim to make people feel guilty all the time. That's not how the gospel works at all. But there are times... There are moments when we know that we are just so lost. That we've made such a mess of things. Somewhere along the line, life has gone wrong and it's our fault. Times like that, we need to hear that God is merciful. That he doesn't treat us as we deserve. That however however wretched and worthless we feel about ourselves, he looks on us with love. And his desire and purpose is to lift us to our feet again and rebuild our lives. And because God is merciful, it follows that, as Moses puts it, wherever you end up, in whatever distant or God-forsaken place you find yourself, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. And what's the basis for this confidence that Moses had that this is how things will work out in the end? It is is that the Lord is a merciful God who's promised he will not abandon you. He will not destroy you. 
he will not forget his covenant. So it's not just that the Lord will let himself be found. He has foretold, he has promised that he will let himself be found. And those words of prediction are already on their way, already in search of God's wayward and distant people. It's not that we will find the Lord, it's that the Lord's words will find us out. It's not that we have to repent so that the Lord will turn to us, rather if God's words come to us, they give us the grace of repentance. Let God's word come to you this morning. And let that word of grace and mercy and promise and faithfulness turn you round in your heart so that you're no longer running away from him. You're no longer blinded by the dazzling images you've been pursuing. The God who speaks calls to your heart and calls you to turn back to him and see his love for you shining in his eyes. Feel the warmth of his embrace in your heart and find that whatever you've done, wherever you've ended up, he's never forgotten you and he's merciful and faithful and gracious. And he calls you back from the images and the fantasies to the reality of his love.